Yeah, you know, we're going to talk about books in a little while, but I think one of the most appropriately titled books by Dave Harvey is When Sinners Say I Do. And it's appropriately titled because that's exactly what's happening. You have two fallen people who are completely imperfect being joined together as one, two lives being fused. And we've talked before on the podcast about marriage. Of course, we, we did one on a, a you know, godly marriage. We did one on what to look for in a spouse. But, but today we want to specifically tackle how do you navigate those points of tension? Because obviously no one on the planet is closer to you than your husband or your wife. No one knows you better. No one sees your imperfections and flaws more. And there's also this, the issue of proximity. You're together, right? All the time. You're, you're sharing a home. You're sharing a, a bed. You're sharing uh, your finances. And so there are so many potentials for problems. And Oscar, I love the fact that you pointed out, look, our marriage is meant to glorify the Lord. Everything in life is measured by that. But I think oftentimes because we have all these dreams and expectations, that's the one area where we can easily miss mm. that. And so- Let's, yeah, open this up and talk about what, what are the things that oftentimes cause the biggest problems in marriage. Where would man be without woman? A joke I learned from the extraordinarily brave and confident <laughs> Ray Comfort. Hey, Ray, why don't you tell our friends uh, the punchline to that joke? Where would man be without woman. Still in the Garden of Eden. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe, Ray, you've said that joke from a pulpit hundreds of times. Yeah, but it gets qualified further on where it exalts women and makes men look stupid and it just evens out. That's not hard to do. That's so I don't, yeah, so I don't get beaten up, you know, in the the lobby. Why is it okay for a man to say men are stupid, but you would never dare say that about women? Well, it's true. Men are stupid. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Listen to the first 10 minutes of this program. It wouldn't, a woman's program wouldn't start like this. That's very true. Very true. On the topic of dad jokes, our good friend... You say dead jokes? or dead? <laughs> We could call them dead jokes because we'll end up dead for the most uh, part when we say them. Uh, this is from the holiest grail. I call holiest grail friend because uh, he's a listener of the podcast. And Ray, he has a dad joke for you. Mm-hmm. He said, Ray, I have an awesome dad joke for you. Need an ark? I know a guy. (laughs) (laughs) We know a guy who built an ark too. Yes, we all know that Jesus was divine, and we know that we are de branches. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So let me get this straight. We had an entire week to prepare, and this is what you came up with for the opener? This is it. (laughs) This was the best. (laughs) And uh, the the holiest girl went on to say, I have listened to almost all of your guys' podcasts. So uplifting and encouraging. Keep it up except for the first 10 minutes? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. What is it with dad jokes that, that fills us with glee? The puns. And joy. Uh, you know what I think it is? I think they're so dumb, they're funny. 100%. Yeah. It's the stupidity of it that makes it so good. Yeah. I love them. It, well, my, and my son-in-law recently said, well, he started doing them. And he's like, what am I doing? I said, you became a dad. It's, it's inevitable. <laughs> you don't have to try and you can't overcome it. It just happens and overtakes you. Do you know why uh, race car drivers put their car seats all the way back? Race? race car drivers? Race car drivers. Por qué? 
because they want a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> that one takes the cake. Why isn't Ray laughing? Because he heard it already and got angry with you <laughs> for saying it before the podcast. Well, this is one that I, I was looking for this. A weasel walks into a bar. The bartender says, wow, I've never served a weasel before. What, what can I get you? Pop goes the weasel. <laughs> <laughs> now that just, it fills me with glee. Yeah, it's so dumb. Glee beyond description. Mark Spence, uh, you're the dad joke connoisseur. Why are you so Not silent? at all. I'm not a dad joke uh, type of guy, but let me ask you this. You just don't have jokes, period. <laughs> this is true. No, 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 no seriously, Mark really is funny. Listen, I'm, I'm afraid for the calendar. The calendar, its days are numbered. <laughs> we need to. Oh boy, we need a little audience laughter. We're in trouble. In we need a laugh track. Yes, a laugh track. Last thing we need. Yeah, we could do with a kill switch. Oh, you know, cough button, so we can get rid of easy when we want. <laughs> <laughs> Ray, how great was that kill switch on the box? Absolutely wonderful. When we had it, in, it was in Santa Monica. When do you want to explain what it was? Yeah, we had a switch on my soapbox under my feet, and one on the um, that it linked up to the. <laughs> the uh, microphone for the heckler. And if they ever cussed, we'd say uh, that automatically goes off if you cuss. If they did what? If they cussed. What is that? A swear word for people. <laughs> Give me an example. No, no, I can't think of any. <laughs> easy, not, easy knows. Not, you know I don't know any. What I, yeah, what I always loved when you'd hit that kill switch was the reaction from the people. They start kind of looking around, huh, what, what happened? And they start petting the microphone. And the power you would feel from <laughs> yes. doing that. Just say, so smirk. you apologize right now for that cuss word and the mic will come back on. <laughs> well, what's cool is it was down by the, the foot. Yes, they like, couldn't tell it. They couldn't tell what was going on. Yeah. So it wasn't like you did something with your hand. <laughs> oh, those were fun days. Mm-hmm. All right, friends, before we jump into the topic at hand, which is how to resolve marital problem not with these jokes yeah that was going to cause help what did the ocean say to the beach (laughs) coming (laughs) nothing it just waved (laughs) (laughs) i thought i was gonna say i'm coming in (laughs) i just got tickled inside i like that yes friends before we jump into the topic a reminder to check out ray's book anyone but me 10 ways to overcome your fear and be prepared to share the gospel that's one of the longest subtitles ray i think i've ever read yeah, it is. It's Mark, how long did it take you to read that one? Three seconds. My <laughs> wife said I should do lunges to stay in shape. That would be a big step forward. So, Mark, <laughs> you better get off that website. <laughs> that yeah. one's good. Don't get Mark on a dad's joke website. This is like the Churchill quotes all over again. Oh, yes. no, not that. All right, friends. Today, as I said, well, hey, anyone but me, 10 ways to overcome your fear and be prepared to share the gun. So long. Livingwaters.com. Make sure to check it out there, friends. Uh, All right, guys. We're talking today about uh, how to resolve marital problems. You having a problem easy? (laughs) You want to talk? Would I tell you as my (laughs) father-in-law? Yeah. (laughs) Help me, Ray. Your daughter. Your daughter. (laughs) The woman you gave me. (laughs) Oh, that would apply. But man, look, all of us here uh, have been married a long time. Ray, you guys hit, oh, you have hit 50. Sue and I are 103 years, I think. How would you be 103? Like 50, 50 51 and, and three a half? quarters, I think. Yeah, no, we're coming up September the 26th. It's, we're married in 1970, so that's 52 years. Boy, it helps us, doesn't it? When you're, I'm when you're dead soon. What's that? When your anniversary is on an even uh, number, like a solid. It helps, doesn't it? It really does. I freak out when anyone says how long you've been married because, yeah, <laughs> we know it changes every year and you have to keep up. Yeah. 
50, Mark 20, have you hit 20 something? 23, yeah, four, uh, four days ago. Same wife? Yep, my first wife, still together. Wonderful. Oh, speaking of jokes, uh, Ray, how about this one? If I were Solomon. We love to give things away. We love to give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters Podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form. We are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week goodies from Living Waters, $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and a podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. If I was Solomon, you'd be in the top 10. (laughs) Laura doesn't like that joke. I've said that to her time and time again. It's the timing, Mark. I was at a camp once and I said it to a whole group of guys at a table and they thought it was real funny. If I I tell my wife, if I was Solomon, you'd be in the top 10. My wife laughs. So this guy's wife was away and she came back and sat at the table and he turned to her and says, if I was Solomon, you'd be in the top 10. And she got really angry (laughs) because his timing wasn't right. That's what it was. He should have done it another time when we weren't there. The greatest source of marital problems in the world? Ray Comfort. (laughs) Pretty much. Seriously, though, Ray, you have caused some problems in marriages with with these guys that end up getting a hold of the ministry's resources and listening to your stuff. And you've had women call you the other... (laughs) The other woman. <laughs> yes, I have actually. Yes. I, yeah, that was very embarrassing. And another guy I had to tell, stop doing that. He kept saying, Ray Comfort says this to his wife oh, and making boy. her hate me. Yeah. He's, he's uh, giving it a good person test before bed every night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably you and Dave Ramsey, of all people, right? Dave Ramsey says we can't buy that. Oscar, how many years? 11 years. August 6th. 11. Wow. 11 wonderful years. Yeah, and Rachel and I, uh, yeah, 26. Boy, that's gone quick. 26. It just seems like yesterday I was trying to get you to go to Vegas to, <laughs> to do <laughs> it. Love it. One night we were, love. We, you know, we were getting close to getting married, and I was at the house one night, and I go, right, what, what do you say we just go to... Las Vegas right now. Oh, yeah, right. Let's so give, right me, give you three grand and do it. Way <laughs> to go. I'll pay for the gas. I know he would have done it, too. Did you guys know that uh, Kelly tripped and fell walking down the aisle? It's a true story, too. Stop it. 100%. What? So you we have were, it on video, right? Is there a punchline? We No, there's no punchline. We were getting married. It was like a grassy knoll overlooking the ocean. You like that I used to words, use grassy the word knoll. grassy knoll? Was it in Texas? I was going to say no, grassy knoll. The ocean. That's a bad way to start. Uh, yes. It was a grassy knoll. There was no shooter. And uh, she's walking down the aisle and I, you know, you, you've got that eye contact and you're just gazed at the beauty of your spouse. And oh, all no, of a sudden- he was gazing into her eyes so he could see a reflection of himself. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. Best line ever. You know it, right? We all know walking down the aisle that you and- Easy, we're looking at each other. <laughs> uh, but anyway, she hits like she's got uh, not even like they weren't even heels. They were like, I don't know what you call them. Were they angled? They were feet. They were feet. She was on her feet and she hit a little a divot in the grass. And I just see her like go sideways and pull her dad with her into the crowd. Thankfully, she landed on a chair uh, and got back up and she was 
dying of laughter and I was laughing. It was great. You've got but, to have that on video. Yeah, did you? We video? don't have it. This is before video cameras. Oh, <laughs> no, it was, uh, 1853. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, we didn't have it on video. It was fantastic. Because that's a viral video. It was great. Wow, Oscar. The best part of it is that it's, she, like the, the beauty of my wife is that she doesn't take herself too seriously. And so it just brought her so much laughter that that happened in that moment. And she ended up making it to the, to the front and both of her and I were, were busting up laughing. Wow. Uh, she actually, Oscar, she was trying to get away. <laughs> that's what it is. I made her faint. <laughs> she pulling him out. Wow, yeah. Oscar. That story was a trip. <laughs> See you next fall. So about that kill switch. <laughs> so anyway, thank you for today. joining us about marriage and problems. We really appreciate yeah. you being part of this program. <laughs> Take care. Now you know why we have problems with our wives. So guys, yeah. Easy. Yeah. You better rephrase what you just said. Now you know why we have problems with our wives. <laughs> because of our ridiculous personalities. That's better. Except mine. Did you hear the rumor about butter? No. <laughs> <laughs> about what? Butter. butter. No, uh, I'm not going to spread it. <laughs> Mark, close your, close your eyes. Yeah, close that computer. So marital problems, uh, very common. Everyone starts off in what I have called the celebrity life for a day. I remind couples of this oftentimes when I do weddings because that's kind of what it's like, right? I mean, you've got people coming from everywhere, uh, standing in lines to shake your hand. They're clapping for you. Uh, they're showering you with gifts. Paparazzi are following you around, snapping pictures, videographers everywhere. It's the highlight of your life, right? And then you wake up the next morning with someone next to you with morning breath, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I just like to say that I had that revelation that at my wedding, I was the center of attention. Sue was there too. <laughs> and the next wedding we went to, I was right at the back of his crowd. I was going to yell out, we're here again. <laughs> it's us. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody wanted to know us. It, it was, was like a letdown. It huh? certainly does. On your wedding, you're just, you're the star. And uh-huh. then after that, you're kind of a nobody. <laughs> kind of? Kind of, yeah. Easy, we recently went to a wedding together and you pointed that out. And there was a couple there that was recently married and nobody was paying any attention to the couple that got married just like a, not even a month prior. Yeah. That celebrity status, it lasts for a couple hours and then that's it. You know what you should have done is surrounded that couple and just taken lots of pictures of them and gave them gifts. (laughs) That is an American culture thing though. We, We do make the wedding day all about ourselves. And it's like, it's our big day. You know, we, we, we build these huge budgets, 50,000, 100,000. I've heard $120,000. I've been to a $120,000 wedding before. Yeah. And the chicken was still dry, FYI. <laughs> um, but it is, it's a, it's a cultural expectation because we just said it's all about me. But actually, let's be honest with here, the wedding day is really all about the covenant that we're making before God, yeah. not all about us. And I would say like marital conflict, one of the points that I wanted to make is, that we have a misunderstanding of what a marriage is. We think it is all about me. It is all about what's gonna make me happy. And we think that because the cultural gives us standard. Like my job in life is to finish high school, finish college, buy a house, get married, have a kid. And when I accomplish all these things, when these ducks are in a row, then I will experience happiness and bliss. Then the rest of my life is on cruise control until retirement. And so marriage becomes a stepping stone for your happiness and your accomplishments rather than a way in which you can first glorify God and in which God can sanctify you. And I think that because we go into marriage 
with the false expectation, everybody at some level is disappointed because they forget that ultimately we're two sinners entering into a covenant marriage together and God intends to use us to reveal sin in our lives and refine us to be more like our savior. That statement alone, if you dissect it, that is not rose petals on the ground. That is not honeymoon happily ever after. That is gritty. It is grindy. It means you're going to be challenged. It means that the darkest crevices of your heart is going to be revealed and it's going to be your spouse that the Lord uses to do that. Do you guys need counseling? Yeah, Yeah, Oscar, what's going on? Yeah, you know, we're going to talk about books in a little while, but I think one of the most appropriately titled books by Dave Harvey is When Sinners Say I Do. And it's appropriately titled because that's exactly what's happening. You have two fallen people who are completely imperfect being joined together as one, two lives being fused. And we've talked before on the podcast about marriage. Of course, we, we did one on a, a you know, godly marriage. We did one on what to look for in a spouse. But, but today we wanna specifically tackle how do you navigate those points of tension? Because obviously no one on the planet is closer to you than your husband or your wife. No one knows you better. No one sees your imperfections and flaws more. And there's also this, the issue of proximity. You're together, right? All the time, you're, you're sharing a home, you're sharing a, a bed, you're sharing uh, your finances. And so there are so many potentials for problems. And Oscar, I love the fact that you pointed out, look, our marriage is meant to glorify the Lord. Everything in life is measured by that. But I think oftentimes because we have all these dreams and expectations, that's the one area where we can easily miss that. Mm. And so- Let's, yeah, open this up and talk about what, what are the things that oftentimes cause the biggest problems in marriage? Selfishness is number one, I should mm. think, because when you come to Christ, you should give up your own will and say, not my will, but yours be done. But marriage is a bit of a shock to most human beings because you're an independent, do-your-own-thing teenager who suddenly gets married and things aren't the same because you can't do what you want when you want because you've got a spouse to right. take care of. And if you think that's bad, wait till kids come along. That's when sacrifice happens where you give up sleep <laughs> when a kid comes along. You give up silence. Yeah. You know, I never used to listen to silence until I had children. <laughs> really, I would just, there's some silence I couldn't care less, but I began to listen to her after we had kids because when you're woken up in the night like a dozen times by a screaming baby who's got colic. Do you know what colic is? Oh, do I ever? Five times over. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> when someone's collar tastes good? No, it's when a, <laughs> a baby's got something that's wrong with it and it's just called colic because it screams yeah. and you don't know how to stop it. We got something called dinafids about 200 years ago that really helped. It released Dinner, the, what? Dinafids. But actually what it was, it just made the baby burp. And it had, it had nothing to do with fixing it. It just think, oh, there's a burp, that's a bit of it. Yeah, you give up, you give up so much. You, you're suddenly on one wage instead of two. You can't go where you want, when you want, because you've got to do everything around that baby. Right. It's the center of attention. So that plus financial pressures can put stress onto a marriage. And if you're not loving the person you're with, uh, that can cause big problems in a marriage. Yeah. Mark, that's a big change. You and I both have five children. And I think think that that is one area where people massively underestimate 
the changes that are going to... Can I just qualify something before no. we go on? No. I, I, I just want to say... I like that you just raised your hand. Uh, yeah. For those I, can I, <laughs> what and a polite that man. That is, when you have children and love them, it's a joy. Yeah. It really is. Nothing Amen. like There's nothing like reproducing after your own kind. Seeing a little baby that looks just like you is just so... <laughs> and Ray, it's so obvious that you love two of your children. Yeah. yeah well, which <laughs> I, I've got favorite. three. You've just caused problems. Very obvious, I gave right. the whole three of them a coat of many colors. <laughs> Yeah, so so Mark, I think people do underestimate that when you say that the changes that having children bring, and they're not ready for that. Yeah, but they're Mark almost, speaks. I want to just <laughs> <laughs> there almost needs to be a class what to expect when you have kids. Reminds me of the book that we read, "What to Expect When You're Expecting." <laughs> right, right. That, that was a great book. Yeah, l- listen, we I think you're heading 100 miles per hour in life, and then all of a sudden you get married. You're so excited, and you have a child, and thinking, what, what just took place? What, what just happened? And everything just kind of comes to a halt. Yeah. And you have to work through every sort of disagreement. You know, you know, when you are engaged or when you're dating someone, when you've had enough, you just, I got to go now. Hmm. Time to yeah. go home. But yeah. then when you get married, no, you have to work through things. There's no allowing the sun to go down in your wrath. You know, I shared with my, my uh, kids the other day, I said, listen, uh, in life, you're going to disagree, you know, continually with different people. You're going to argue. Do they agree with that? <laughs> they did. But I said, listen, if you're not arguing towards the cross, well, then you're just arguing. If you're not arguing towards grace, well, then you're just arguing. And I had pointed out between my wife and one of my children, I said, I want you to notice something that when mommy comes into the conversation here, she's always seeking to have reconciliation. Right. That she has your best good in mind here. Yeah. But when you enter into the conversation, you, you want to demonstrate that you're right or that mama cannot communicate as well as you can or fill in the blank. But you're not arguing towards reconciliation. You're just arguing. Mm. And the Apostle Paul has a lot to say about that, right? And you can do all that, all that you can, but if you don't have love, then it profits you nothing. Yeah. Right. So when you argue, argue towards grace, argue with the fact that you're dealing with a child of the king, argue with the fact that you want God to be glorified in your midst. And if that be the case, well, then you don't have to fully understand the situation and the circumstance or fully comprehend what the other person's even saying or even to be understood yourself. You need to give them Christ Mm. because he will sort it all out. I do like that we we are starting because your question originally easy, which is a great question, is where where does marital conflict come from or something along those lines? And I, I think it's so important as I'm sure we're gonna get into the practical yeah. about what to do, but a theological foundation is so important because it causes humility. And why did you point at me when you said it? Because you you used the word humility <laughs> earlier. But yeah, I did point at you, sorry. Here's something that's really valuable to understand. Human conflict is all of it. All human conflict is rooted in spiritual idolatry. And I'm pulling that from James 4. Here's what it says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. You spend it all on your passions. Here's the key moment. You adulterous people. 
all of our conflicts is ultimately, all of our sin for that matter, this is Luther's point. He points at the 10 commandments and he shows that the first two have something to do with idolatry. And he says that all of our sin is rooted in first creating some sort of false idol in our heart. And then from there, it spills over into lying, into envy, into anger, into all the other things that causes conflict. And so when we get into conflict with our spouses or for anybody for that matter, if we don't have a theological foundation for our sin natures, for the reality that, as you mentioned regularly, easy, that our our hearts are these idol factories, we will make idols out of anything, even good, gracious gifts from God. We can turn that into an idol. If we have that theological foundation, then when I get into a disagreement with my wife, or when you get into a disagreement with your spouse, instead of saying she or he is obviously wrong and I am obviously right, if you have a humble, low understanding of yourself, if you're aware of your nature towards idolatry, then the first thing you're gonna think is, where am I sinning? Is this an opportunity for God to reveal false idols to me? Is he trying to show me something that I need to repent from in this moment? See, instead of the pride of assuming that you're the one that's right, now the first assumption is God must want to do a work in me, Mm. not in them. Yeah, oh, that's good. Yeah, uh, I love what Stuart Scott said. He said, one of the things that can help... (laughs) That's his name, right? Isn't that funny? Uh, One of the things that can help very different spouses the most in conflict resolution is growth in God's word. The more we have God's word in common as husbands and wives, the more we will agree. The more each mind is renewed, changed by the scripture, the more similarly a couple will think. One of the worst things a couple can do is work to change one another into each other's likeness. They are to be changed rather into the into Christ's likeness. The more a couple works at love and becoming one, the more differences will be accepted and blended to enhance the marriage. And Oscar, that goes with what you're saying, right? We have to have a theological foundation. Well, where do we get that? From the word of God. Reading God's word together is one of mine and Rachel's most unifying elements in our marriage. We just finished going through the whole word together, the Old and New Testament. We read the New Testament. We've read the New Testament through a lot, but it's just so sweet to be hit by God's word again and again as a couple. And, and included in that is that reminder, Lord, how can I be more conformed to the image of Christ? You have two people striving for that and you're going to be able to resolve conflict. You feel guilty when you skip over genealogies? <laughs> we don't. <laughs> you know me. I've got to read them all. You've got to read all of them and oh, get, yeah. the, get the correct pronunciation. We laugh sometimes over the pronunciation. It's hilarious. <laughs> oh, you know, I've it. often said the greatest thing you could do for your spouse is draw near to the Lord. Open up God's word. You know, read, read a commentary. And that's the best thing you could do for your employer and your employees and your children and the person who you're going to meet at the grocery store today. It's for you to draw near to God, to get to know the Lord, because what people need is the Lord. It's not you and your opinion and your cute little stories. Get right. scripture in you and there'll be plenty of time to get it out of you. That's good. Paul Tripp makes that point in, in his book on marriage. He says, uh, ultimately, we're, we're going to always have strife. What we need to do is focus on vertical reconciliation. We have to allow God to reveal the sin in our hearts. We need to be reconciled with him vertically before we can begin reconciliation horizontally. Another way of putting that is that if, there, if you're in marital conflict right now, if you're being, if you're, if this is a season of your marriage where it's just hard, you're just not on the same page. 
Start by thinking to yourself, where have you sinned against God? Start with the vertical, because when that is aligned, then the horizontal begins to make more sense. Yeah, amen. And we see that example in scripture. I mean, even look at the 10 commandments, that's kind of how they're split up, right? It begins with a relationship with the Lord and then it goes to people, right? I mean, from don't have any other gods before me, don't make any graven images, don't use the name Lord your God in vain. Remember Sabbath to keep it holy. And then he switches over, honor your father and mother, don't kill, don't commit adultery uh, and so forth. Do you think today's marriages have far more pressure than previous generations? I would say they have different pressures. Maybe they can be quantified as more, but I think the pressures today are so concentrated on things that sap attention. I think if anything today is destroying marriages, it's the fact that we don't focus on one another because we have so many distractions. I mean, just take the phone as one example. Used to be a phone, right? You'd get a call. I'm sorry, what were you saying? Um, don't take <laughs> my phone. phone. Don't take my phone. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like you, you, you had the phone, you know, when, when first it was a home phone and you know, people, oh, well, maybe they're all, you know, having dinner or whatever. We don't want to interrupt them. Well, then it went from there to the cell phones and like, okay, now you're getting more calls. Then from there it was texting. Yo, I don't want to bother them on the phone, so I'm going to text, but the phone's still buzzing or beeping or whatever it does. And then from there, you get a bunch of other things. You get marriages destroyed by, by pornography, right? Men that, that are given over to that, and now they're, they're completely destroyed, and now they're destroying their marriages. We could go on and on in that vein, but yeah, Ray, I would say maybe there are more, but there, there are definitely different ones that I think have, have been more intensified. Also, Ray, uh, sorry, my generation, divorce was horrific. Yeah. It just, you wouldn't think of it. Yeah. Living with someone was shameful. Right. And nowadays, marriage isn't entered into as an honorable institution that God instituted. Divorce rates actually peak with Gen X and baby boomers, and they're actually declining with millennials and you know Gen Zers. Like as married, they're, they're declining. They're not married. <laughs> right. Most yeah. of them are living with shaken up, but living in fornication. I do. Uh, you mentioned your generation. You were talking about phones. I have a question for you, Ray. What was it like to use that ear and mouth when we had to call the operator? Oh, hello, operator. Can you patch me through? <laughs> we did, missed out on that. <laughs> you guys remember that the was, rotary phones, though? I remember the rotary. <laughs> Somebody's gonna mention <laughs> mention dial-up. But rotary phones are horrific when you want to call the police. Oh, <laughs> my house is on fire. One moment. Do <laughs> you remember those days, Easy? Oh, I do remember. Those I remember days. the days when if you were in the shower and the phone rang and you didn't get it, you never knew throughout whole of eternity who it was. <laughs> oh, I know. And uh, but but times have have so changed, and it, it, it but yet human hearts haven't changed, right? We still have the same sin problem. I love what Richard Baxter said. Listen to this. He said, remember still that you are both diseased persons full of infirmities and therefore expect the fruit of those infirmities in each other and make not a strange matter of it as if you had never known of it before. If you had married one that is lame, would you be angry of her for limping? Or if you had married one that had a putrid ulcer, would you fall out with her because it stinketh? Stinking. <laughs> did you know? Lazarus. Did you, yeah. Did you not know beforehand that you married a person of such weakness as would yield you some manner of daily trial and offense? Is this Rachel's life first? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> if you could not bear this, you should not have married her. If you resolve that you could bear it, then you are obligated to bear it now. Resolve, therefore, to bear with one another, as remembering that you took one another as sinful, frail, and perfect persons, not as angels or as blameless and perfect.
Wow. Have any quotes from John Wesley on marriage? <laughs> oh, boy. Tell us a little bit about Wesley, Ray. Apparently, she came in and he married the wrong woman, apparently. I don't know too much about it, but uh, it's a story. I don't know if the story is true, but she came into a meeting and pulled him out by his hair. Yeah. You heard that? Yeah. I, I, well, I remember reading his biography. I can't remember if it specified she did that by the hair, but all it said was she did something horrible toward him. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it said, and there would be no children. <laughs> That's pretty much how it segued. You know, yeah. one marriage advice I give to someone who's getting married is never get a waterbed because you'll drift apart. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, speaking of practical advice, because I do want to, I, I want us to be able to get to just the, the theological foundation has been laid and I'm sure there's more to be said, but even I, I think it's valuable to talk about practicality. And my friend Brian pointed me to this stat. I can't remember if he read it or he heard it somewhere. Just give it. So obviously we know the divorce rate is about 50% or worse. And unfortunately, and there's a lot to be said about this, the divorce rate, even amongst churchgoers is 50% or worse. And so the question is like, where do we find a low divorce rate out there? And the National Association of Marriage Enhancement did this survey and they found that one in 1,156 couples so less than 1% divorce if they daily pray together. That was like the lowest stat line that they can find. Daily prayer with your wife meant that you would have a less than 1% chance statistically to divorce. I remember a statistic speaking. years ago that I read, I think it was Billy Graham Association said that uh, among Christian marriages, it's one in 1,100 ended in divorce. That's pretty close to this, yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, when two committed Christians purpose to seek after God's heart, right, and to follow him no matter what, well, then they're going to be able to work through anything that's going on inside their life. I mean, you'll be throwing curveballs left and right, but when you say, I want Christ to be glorified and I don't care what it takes, well, then there's nothing that they cannot work through. It's really that simple. Amen. Yeah, and, you know, oftentimes I think it's a forgetfulness regarding what marriage is intended to be by God. I mean, when you look back on it, we go back to Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. One of the most underrated things regarding marriage today is the, the importance of our oneness and recognizing what it's meant to do. One of the things that our oneness is meant to do is it's, it's meant to be proliferating, Malachi 2.15. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. I mean, think about that. It, it, you, you would think, well, this is kind of odd in here. All of a sudden, jump into that. But one of the purposes for our oneness is, is to, to you know, proliferate, to, to propagate the earth with more of ourselves, but God wants it to result in godly offspring. And that's why our oneness is so important. What, what's going on here, Oscar? Can you describe I, I try to ignore them. I, I'm trying to- Ray's pay- waving his hand. Mark's taking his bottle and putting it up to his cheek. Yeah, I, I have a drinking crazy. problem. Like, no, listen. I wanted to send a picture of Ken Ham, you on the podcast, which I think you'd appreciate. But I wanted Mark in the photo, so I was trying to get closer to the microphone. So you fully ignore me, what yeah. I'm saying, I was, I was what's going on gold. here. That's it. Easy was over here pouring down his heart, guys. Don't worry about it. So, okay, it's been sent. Oh, it's all over. We good. move on with life. I think this should have been titled uh, "Co-host Problems." So how that's to, where you how to resolve the co-host just problems. get rid of them. <laughs> so our oneness is meant to be proliferating, and uh, it's also meant to be portraying. Right, Ephesians four thirty to thirty two. Right, that 
Ephesians, sorry, 5, 22 to 33. No, I thought so. I was going to say. Where Paul talks about, um, you know, husbands and wives. He says, this is a great mystery. And he, he talks about the two becoming one. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. We're portraying Christ in our oneness and marriage. And it's meant to be permanent. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Have you not heard that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And implied is that also our oneness is to be protected. Man's to leave his father and mother and the two shall become one flesh. There needs to be a forsaking of all things. So you said it would not be protecting. good if a mother-in-law moved in with a newly married couple. Yeah, not suggest, not recommended. <laughs> yeah, I would say, but yeah, but those those things are are key. Those things are essential. So, what are the things that couples can do to protect that oneness, to protect their marriage, and to be able to navigate uh, through those things? Right? Reading the Word together, praying together. Sue and I read the Word regularly together, and like you do as Rachel, and it's great to let the Word search you and to expound it for your wife and get her thoughts on it. So yes, this is very precious time for us. Yeah, but Mark, the problem is the distractions of life. How do couples listening to us right now who say, man, we try, we've got kids, we've got work, tiredness, exhaustion, interruptions of all sorts. How do we, how do we overcome those? You do the next thing or you, you just do it again. Don't give up. You don't give up. And when you mess up, you do the right thing that next time. I, I think the key to marital bliss is allow your wife to pick every restaurant you'll ever eat at. <laughs> right now, that you, would be good for your wife, for sure. Have you ever, <laughs> where do you want to eat at, honey? Honey, you know, I always pick. Mark, why don't you pick where we're going to go eat? And I pick a place and she says, I don't want to eat there. And I go, well, what about here? I don't want to eat there. And I go, honey, where would you like to eat? And she picks a place and I say, okay, how about if we eat there? And she's all good choice. <laughs> right, so, but, but back to your question, what, what do we do? What do you do if you find yourself not having devotions, not praying? You just pray, you just pray. Oftentimes when I'm just with her, I don't ask her if she wants to pray, I will just start to pray. I will just start to read something. You know, it's impossible to bring all the kids together for devotion, so you just have a devotion and whoever shows up is there for the devotion. You do the next thing. But do you take all your kids to bed with you at night? You have devotions in bed before you go to sleep. That's what someone I always do. Yeah. Just well, the, the, the argument of we don't have time, time, time is a simply a symbol of your priorities. And if you don't have time for your marriage and if you don't have time for devotion with God, then that, what that really means is that that's on a low priority list for you, that other things, whether it's kids or work or extracurricular or Netflix, whatever it might be, something has taken over the priorities and God desires for your priority to be God and slowly thereafter that, your marriage. Yeah. Remember, Susanna Wesley had 19 children and she set aside an hour a day to wait on the Lord. Yeah. So you just you just lock the kids in the woodshed and just wait on the Lord. Yeah, I think it was was it Luther that said, you know, he talked about all that he had. He said, I have so much to do today. I have to spend four hours in prayer. It was three. <laughs> was it three? Okay. Preacher's exaggeration. But no, I mean here's the thing, guys. I don't think it's an issue of not having time, like Oscar's talking about. It's that we don't make time. Actions speak priority what's valuable to us will be lived out in our lives. When do we ever say, oh, I, didn't, I don't have time to go to work today. I don't have time to feed my kids. I don't have time to shower this month. 
which I know you guys understand. We've been praying about that. Yeah, for yourself. But it's like, because it's low on the priority list in our hearts and minds, like I've always said, if our insides can be our outsides, you'd have a lot less smokers, right? I've shared this before. People could see their lungs and what's happening to them. But, you know, we keep functioning. Yeah, we're, we're relating as a couple. Everything seems okay. We're, we're, we're not divorced. We're not beating each other up. <laughs> Is that the bar? We're <laughs> not divorced. We're not divorced. Yeah, we're not beating each other up. We don't cuss each other out. We're fine. But if we can really see what's happening to the foundation of our marriage by not being in God's word together, praying together, communicating in a healthy way together, we would be alarmed. And then we would do something about it. When a doctor tells you, hey, you have this terminal illness and he shows you all the signs and then says, here's the cure. I mean, what fool would say, I don't have time for that cure. I don't have time to go get my radiation or my chemo treatments or or my, you know, uh, insulin or whatever. We do what is important to us and we need to recognize that. I have another one too uh, that's really valuable, which is your marriage in the context of a gospel-centered community that both knows you and loves you. And the reason why I say that is because I, I think about my marriage as an example, like we are really close to the members of our church. We call them brothers and sisters. Our kids call them aunts and uncles, which means that my closest friends, the guys who I spend the most amount of time with, they love my wife as a sister in Christ. And they want, what do you do with your sister? You wanna make sure they're married to a good man. And so my guys hold me accountable. I don't go to them to complain about her. I go to them so that I am refined to be a better husband for her. And likewise, she goes to her girls within the church. And so I think the gospel-centered community holds you accountable to glorifying the Lord. It knows you so that you have a place to confess and repent. They hold you accountable, those kind of things. And when you're in a community where the goal is to have God-glorifying marriages, then you learn from one another. You grow alongside one another. I think that is a foundational element to a healthy marriage that is missing in most marriages' lives out there today. Absolutely. Yeah. Be under healthy spiritual authority and, and and, and healthy spiritual community. And that's going to give you examples of godliness. It's going to give you an outlet for accountability where you can, you know, confess where you're struggling and also ask for help. You know, Jay Adams said, this is another thing. And, and I would say it's called genuine repentance within your marriage. He said, first, make a full list of all the things that you have been doing wrong in your marriage. Second, confess your sins and repentance to God. Third, determine to change according to biblical precepts and examples and write out specific proposals next to each item on the list. Now you hear this, it's like, wait, homework? (laughs) Yeah, man, marriage takes work. It takes dedication, devotion. Those are the marriages that don't don't only survive, but the ones that thrive. Uh, He said, fourth, go humbly to your husband or wife and admit your sins against them. Tell them that you have sought and found God's forgiveness and now desire theirs. And fifth, having received forgiveness, seek to rectify any wrongs immediately whenever that is possible. Mark, there's a sweetness, isn't there, in confessing our sins to our spouse, humbling ourselves and saying, I blew it, and then explaining how too. (laughs) Yeah, humility. Everybody loves a humble person. I was sharing with my kids just yesterday that we we had an event that took place and you and Rachel were called to be a part of this uh, engagement, this conversation. And when the conversation was completely over, Rachel had said, boy, I've, I've never seen somebody act so humble in all my life. And the point that she was making in the midst of that, without giving all the context, obviously, was she was impressed with humility. Mm-hmm. You know, our wives are impressed with humility. We are impressed with humility when somebody humbles themselves. Imagine if somebody comes to you and 
they go off on you and you quick, you're, you're quick to respond with, I am so sorry, I was wrong, I did do that and I have no excuse. Will you please forgive me? It would mean a lot to me. Mm. What are they going to say? If they want to walk with God, they see that you want to walk with God, that next step obviously is to receive that and you move forward and you don't bring it back up because that's what uh, God's grace is, right? True grace, Matthew Henry said, is God never grabbing a hold of your past failings, shoving them in your face and reminding you of what a bloat you are. Yeah. Right? So we, we are quick to forgive and we forget as best as we can and we move forward. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And, and I think that it's key to remember what it is that often causes us to have marital problems. R.C. Sproul put it well. He said, in every marriage that ends in disaster, some stupid decisions were made with respect to God's regulations. If God's regulations were followed scrupulously, not only would there be no divorces, there would be no unhappy marriages. To violate the regulations of God is not only an exercise in disobedience, but also an exercise in foolishness. If you want a happy marriage, the most intelligent thing you can do is to submit to God's regulations. They are designed to promote and protect your full happiness. Boy, that sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah, that's, uh, that's it. It's, it's submitting, it's yielding, it's surrendering. And it's also understanding the, the grace of God in the midst of marriage. Let me read this, this last quote by Dave Harvey, an excellent book. One book, like I said, he wrote is When Sinners Say I Do, but he wrote another one that Rachel and I are currently reading called I Still Do. And it's for couples that have been married a long time. He said, what amazing grace, so potent that it remembers messed up people like Samson or Rahab for their best moments. Grace reclaims the past by remembering a person's highlights real, not simply their outtakes. This is the practical way we live out the truth of the gospel. If Jesus' death and resurrection tells us anything, it's that the worst behavior in our spouse is not the final statement about their life. In the gospel, Christ's life shines through our death. And as our marriage moves forward, we have the opportunity to look at our spouse through the lens of that transforming grace, the very same lens through which God views us. In the light of grace, memories can be redeemed. In the light of grace, we can let what God has done in our spouse define them rather than their failures. And we can let that grace focus our present conversation and future hopes. Mm -hmm. So friends, grace is the key. And, uh, And we hope that your marriages will be infused by it as you look at the grace of God has had toward you. That's it. That it? That's That's it. We're done. And we hope that again, get oh, counseling is also key for those that have serious marital problems, get counseling. God has provided the body of Christ and spiritual leaders for things of that sort. Make sure to do that. So that area have it friends. Remember anyone but me, 10 ways to overcome your fear and be prepared to share the gospel a book by Ray Comfort, who's doing things with his hands right now. What is going on over there? Well, you're bored, Ray, making shit. No, I was just, just did you think about the dexterity of hands? They're just incredible. Aren't they amazing? Mm. Yeah. Good. Squirrel. Good, good point, Squirrel. Ray. I've, I've got to hand it to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends, thank you for joining us. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters Squirrel Podcast. Winners, winners, winners. That's you, friends. Those of you who I'm about to announce are the winners of this week's podcast giveaway on the Living Waters podcast. We've got Carlos from Lamont, California, Daniel from Jamestown, North Carolina, Ed Washburn from Tennessee, David Norwood from North Carolina, Doug Campobello from South Carolina, Ali 
from Falls Church, Virginia. Adrian from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Joshua from Excelsior Springs, Missouri. Eva from Bow Island, Canada. And Penelope from Bardwell Park, Australia. Shout out to the Aussies and the Canadians out there. Friends, you can get this too. Those of you who are listening, just share the word and sign up for the Living Waters podcast.